This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Well, guys, um, how many of you here start school this week? Okay, yeah, all right. Awesome, awesome. I know uh, what all branch goes back Wednesday, I believe, and, and so... Um, DeSoto County, yeah. So um, it's a new time, new season. Vacations are over and time to get back into routines and back into the swing of things, right? So another thing we've got in two weeks, we're going to be announcing our fall community groups. And uh, we're excited about that. I will say we have more community groups this fall than we have ever had before. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be pretty awesome. I want to start here for just a minute as we go into a new series. Um, you know, earlier in the year, I, I laid out three things that I, I felt like the Lord put on my heart that we needed to focus on as a church that, that we needed to make pillars of the church and pursue as a family. And so uh, the first thing I started talking about was community, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today since we're headed into this new season, headed into community groups and all that. But uh, the importance of community and um, you know building relationships together. Um, as followers of Christ, intentionally, uh, intentionally spending more time together. Now, how many of you know that's important? How many of you have to keep telling yourself that that's important? Oh, yes, that's important. I know I've got a busy life, but it's important that I connect with people because community is very important. We've got to realize that we're not walking alone. Uh, we need people to, to walk alongside us in our lives, you know, and uh, people we can trust. And so we want to build community and I believe that in many ways that will help foster the second thing I mentioned, which was discipleship. And I think that, you know, one of the greatest needs for the church right now is discipleship. We got a lot of people who have been in the church, not just Church of the Harvest, but you know, the universal church for 20, 30, 40 years. And they're still baby believers, still baby Christians, don't know what it means like to live um, a spiritually mature life. And we have great avenues for discipleship already. We have our community groups, our ministry school, Sunday school. We even have ladies mentoring and different things like that. But the more time that believers spend together, the more growth there will be. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, doesn't it? And so, um, so these are all things that we need to pursue, community, discipleship. And I believe that as we pursue Christian community and as we become more and more disciple closer to the Lord, that number three, third pillar, would be outreach. The more we grow together in Him, the deeper we go with the Lord, the more we're going to get His heart. And we know, we've talked about a lot in this, this spring about how God's heart is for people. And I believe that we're moving forward in these areas. We're building community like never before. You guys, please be here for the game night tonight. It's going to be awesome. Uh, like I say, Spirit Church and City Church are going to be here, and they are very excited. Um, Pastor Ray and, and Pastor Troy asked back earlier in the year, they, they both asked me, so we keep hearing about these just epic, legendary game nights that you guys do with the adults. Can we be a part? And we said, absolutely. But we're doing things, we're doing things to build community. We have more opportunities for outreach than ever, I mean, for discipleship than ever before. And even outreach, you know, I was excited to see. Um, we talked about a couple weeks ago, I guess it was last week, about um, how many people got involved in the summer feeding program at Spirit Church. I loved how, um, how much food we were able to donate to the Olive Branch Food Pantry and, and how, you know, we're giving more than we've ever given monthly to all these ministries that we support, um, you know, all over the world. Uh, many of you gave blood during our outreach day. You know, and it's exciting to hear testimonies of different ones of you in your life who are being bold and sharing your faith and the difference that Jesus has made in your life to your coworkers and the people that, you know, that you're around on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, but we need to continue to grow, don't we? We don't ever arrive. And uh, so, you know, I was thinking maybe you're one of those that, you know, you're still not really confident in leading somebody to Jesus. You're not confident in, you know, that, you know, in, in your ability, in your knowledge, and whatever else it may be. And let me tell you, that's okay at the moment. There's other avenues to lead people to Christ. But we need to be moving forward, and we need to recognize each of us that that's what God has called each of us individually to do, is to lead people to Jesus. True? Mm, man, that's lame. <laughs> it is. Um, and so as a church, you know, we need to do more things to be reaching out to people. But how many of you know that many times it's easier to start reaching out to people, to start leading people to Jesus, 
when we have fellow believers walking with us along the way. This is part of community, another one of the reasons why we need to build community. And, you know, this is our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal as this expression of the body of Christ that we call Church of the Harvest is to be a church of the harvest. Does this make any sense? That we would be known as a church family that loves people and points to Jesus continually in everything we do. Um, and, and really, this is what we're building up to. So last week was family day, and thank all of you guys that were here for that. We had a great family day, and um, I want to continue talking about family. As I said, in a couple weeks, we're going to be announcing our fall community groups and preparing to launch those, uh, but I want to further express the importance of family and friendships and community. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, God put within each of us in an innate desire for happiness, for love, for acceptance. Isn't that something that we all have a, a desire and a need for inside? But here's the thing. I, I, this just dawned on me a few days ago. In reality, most of the insecurities that we deal with have to do with this area. They have to do with our family, our friends, and our community. Uh, you know, so example, a couple examples I thought of. We're insecure because we feel like we don't measure up. We don't measure up to what? Our society and the people around us. We're insecure because we feel like we're not loved and accepted. By whom? The people around us, right? We feel insecure because we feel like we'll be let down or hurt again. By whom? The people around us. Our relationships, relationships in our lives are vitally important, and the Bible expresses this. It's very clear on it. However, our insecurities are very tightly wound into that. Now, does that not sound like a work of the enemy? That Jesus, that God tells us that we don't have to walk alone, that he has brought people along our path that are supposed to walk with us and people that we're supposed to walk with. But isn't it just natural the enemy would come along and he would feed our insecurities through that? Anybody see that? Everybody's just kind of looking. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, with this in mind, I want to talk for a little while. I'm going to start a series, and I'm not sure exactly how many weeks it's going to go. I might have to finish it once we get back from Israel uh, in several weeks. But, um, but I want to talk about relationships, and I want to specifically talk about friendships. And you would think, friendships, why is this... Why is this you know, so important. Because I believe that if we can get this area of our life right, along with our walk with the Lord, if we can get this area in our life right, it can lead us to some of the greatest successes in the most important areas of our lives. However, if we get this wrong when it comes to our friendships and our relationships, it can lead to the most unbelievable pain and destruction in our lives. How many of you have experienced it? I heard, um, I heard Pastor Greg Rochelle, he, he did a series, he was speaking on this, and he made a statement that uh, I already knew, but it kind of, it really struck me again. He said, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. For those of you who don't know, if you're new here, inside of your connection card, or, I'm sorry, inside of your service guide, there should be a note sheet, and I encourage you, I'm going to ask everybody in a minute to write a few things down on that sheet. But I encourage you to follow along on there, and you can fill in that blank. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Now, the Bible says that in a number of places, but a couple of examples. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes what? But the companions of, companion of fools will suffer what? Listen to it from the Message Bible. It says, become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. Now, if you think about it, many of the successes that you've had in your life involved your relationships with the right people in the right moment. The right answer got in trouble, whatever it may be. You had some relationships that were not the right relationships, that were not the right influences in your life. So, here's something I want to do for a minute, the quick exercise. If you'll look at your note sheet, 
and grab you a pen. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but I want you to write down for just a moment, I want you to write down the five closest friends in your life. Now, please exclude family members. The five closest friends in your life, excluding family. I give you about 30 seconds. I know, you might need a little more than that. The five closest friends in your life. Everybody about got it? Anybody struggling a little bit? As you finish, I want to mention this. This uh, entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker, Jim Ron, he made a statement. The statement was, he said, you are the average of your five closest friends. You are the average of your five closest friends. So what does this mean? If you're the average of the five closest friends, those people you wrote down that piece of paper, well, more often than not, you're probably the average of them financially. You're probably the average of them in attitude. You're probably the average of them in, your, in spiritual focus. You're probably the average of them on other little simple things like how much they watch TV and engage in social media. You're probably the average of them in how much you read, whether or not you speak positively or critically, whether you're a person that motivates people or drains people, whether you're a focused person or a scattered person, whether you're patient or impatient, whether you're cool-headed or hot-headed, you are the average of your five closest friends. So, what does that say about you? Just like we used to always tell the youth, like it or not, you become like the people around you. Isn't it true? The older you get, the more you realize that. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because this is the way that God wired us. God made us this way. It's probably one of the reasons that he commanded that we not be unequally yoked together to unbelievers. Make sense? 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company does what? Ruins good morals. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. Or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Is that kind of scary to anybody? God wants us to have good friends. He tells us the kind of friends to have. And he tells us the kind of friend to be. I'll give you a few examples real quick. I didn't put these in your notes. You just listen for a moment. <clears throat> John 13, 34 tells us to love one another. Romans 12.10 tells us to be devoted to one another. Romans 5.7 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15.14 says, instruct one another. Galatians 5.13 says, serve one another in love. Ephesians 4.2 says, bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Here's a good one. How about Romans 16, 16? Greet each other with a holy kiss. Yeah, let's not, don't do that unless your spouse is next to you. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 17. How about this? Y'all know this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Put that one on the screen there, Billy. There you go. No. Proverbs 17, 17. There we go. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I read that in a few different versions and stuff. Very interesting. God says that one of the reasons that you were born into this world is so that you can be there for your friend when they're going through a tough time of adversity. Part of the reason you were born into this world was so that you could walk with somebody and be there for them 
when they're having a tough time. But let me give you a couple stats, a couple interesting things that I found. There's an academic journal called the American Sociological Review, and it says that the, Ameri the average American has only two close friends. How many of you can admit that you had a hard time coming up with five on your piece of paper this morning? Eh, most. Hmm? The average American has only two close friends. You want to know what's even more sad than that? 25% had none. None. You know why they say that relationships are declining? They, three things. Increasing work, out, increasing work hours and general busyness. Y'all agree with that? Number two was rising divorce rates. Those of you who have been through divorce know that it affects your friendships and things as well. Third thing was the explosion of social media. All this is causing to declining numbers of friendships. And now on average today, the average American only has two people that they would call a close friend. Talking about social media for a minute. You know, I, I was talking several weeks ago about how our society loves to um, redefine things. How about the way that social media has redefined friend? That just kind of hit me the other day. Social media has redefined friend. If you think about it, before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all these, did anybody ever call one of their friends and say, what are you having for breakfast this morning? Can you mail me a picture? But that person that we, all we know about them is we see their picture of their breakfast every morning, they're our friend, right? That may be all that we really know about them. They're our friend. Hmm. Yeah. As I said several weeks ago, social media has really become about control. We can almost completely control the perception that people have of us, or at least we think we can. We can almost completely control the perception that people have of us because through social media. Just look, for instance, look at if you just scroll through your Facebook page and see, I think I've mentioned this before, how many pictures people have run that of themselves and people have run that filter on and their skin is just silky smooth. <laughs> just silky smooth. Look, looks like a close-up of a Barbie doll face. And you're like, it doesn't even look real. It looks, it looks so fake. But we can, are trying to control what we believe people's perception of us is. It's about control. But the thing is, the more followers, the more likes, the more social media friends people have. Statistics even tell me the more people feel alone. And... What it really is, is, you know, each of us have this desire, this innate desire for intimacy that God put within us, and this is just simply a counterfeit. It's an illusion of intimacy that we have brought in and accepted as the real thing when it's, it's really not. It's a counterfeit of what God ever intended for us. And again, you know, please know that I'm not bashing social media. Social media has been awesome. I mean, there are great benefits to social media. It's made the world a much smaller place. I mean, how many of you are in contact with people, um, even if it's just barely, you know, the occasional message with people that maybe back from your childhood that you would have never thought of or known of again? It's just amazing how social media has made that kind of thing possible. It's also made it possible for the Word of God to go forth real easily. We got people, all these, wow, even more right now, more people who are watching online right now because of social media. But here's the thing as well. I know for myself, the more I check and interact with social media, the more I crave it. Is it not true? It's addicting. And it's a counterfeit. How many of you can admit that you interact on social media probably a little too much? That you could stand to use it a little bit less? <laughs> Y'all lying again. It's all right. 
And I was thinking about this. In all the previous years, you know, before the last decade or two, you know, we didn't really have to teach our kids friendship. You see it in your, in your little children. You don't have to command them to go make friends when you take them to Chick-fil-A to play on the playground, right? Out of our kids, all of our kids, were, they were pretty good at making friends, but Madison was our, she was our, I mean, it took her about a minute, and she'd be walking up with somebody going, this is my friend. And it's like, where did you find that person? Didn't know anybody was here. She could make friends. Our kids, and it was really, for them, it's just out of their natural need and desire for companionship. It's not something that we had to just give them all kinds of instruction from the time they were toddlers. They were learning to make friends. Now, we might have to tell them that you need to stop doing that or you won't have any friends, right? But, but they had that natural inclination to go after people and to develop these relationships and these friendships. But today, society has bought into this counterfeit, these counterfeit friendships, and things have completely changed. It looks completely different today. So, since this concept has become foreign, what can we do to develop and foster friendships? It's very important. Actually, I'll say this, something I just thought of. You know, I've heard over the years a lot of people who have left the church because they will say things like, well, I just didn't really make any friends. How many of you know relationships are something, friendships are things that we have to pursue? Something we have to go after. You didn't make any friends because you showed up late for Sunday morning and left right as immediately as service ended and you weren't involved in anything else. No, you're not going to make any friends. We have to foster friendship. It's something we have to pursue and go after. So what can we do to develop and foster friendships, even within the church, even within community groups? What can we do to develop and foster friendships? I'm, only, I'm just going to give you two things as we start this today. You can follow along your note sheet. Number one. Two foreign things. Number one, be present. Be present. Everybody's like, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh-huh. Everybody say, I will. I will. Develop, friendships. Develop friendships. Face to face. Not thumb to thumb. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't walk up to them with a book and go, hey, here's a book about me, read it, and walk away. Right? His words were, come and follow me. He was saying, let's walk together, let's talk together, let's eat together. Let's do life together. Let's be present in each other's lives. You know, a recent survey I read, this recent survey shows that overall, children are more dissatisfied with their parents' obsession with social media than parents are dissatisfied with their children's obsession with social media social media, then parents, kids are more dissatisfied with their parents' obsession with social media than parents are dissatisfied with their children and their obsession with social media. Now, what they found was that didn't necessarily mean that parents were using it more. It just simply meant that the kids needed focus and attention that they weren't able to attain. So, example... Next time you're at a restaurant, just look around and see a family of four, a family of five, sitting around that table, all of them staring at their telephone. Right? Fostering a relationship, not with each other, fostering a relationship with somebody else, thumb to thumb. Something that, you know, that we've been doing for a while with our family. You know, no, no phones at the table. This is our time together, face to face. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. I'll read this to you from the New Living Translation. 
It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Actually, when I think about this, first thing I thought of was community, discipleship, and outreach. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. The, the, the Greek word that was translated meeting together actually means physically meeting, communing together. And in this case, it's talking about um, with a, a, a spiritual purpose. So this is face to face. Let us not neglect our meeting together face to face, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many know that there is power in presence? There's power in actually being there. How many of you, I I was trying to think of really an example of that, the power of presence. How many of you have ever had a friend or somebody that really went through a tragedy? I mean, something, this, this friend of yours went through something that, I mean, it was so horrific, you just didn't even know what to say. You ever been there where every word you say, it just feels awkward because it, you just don't feel like it can measure up. You can't say the right thing. You, you can't, it'll, it'll never be enough. I know even it's tough for me when we're with somebody who's lost. Maybe they have an adult child who was unsaved and died tragically, and, and they've got all these questions, and you're just going, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, give me the right words to say because, you know, this is tough. And maybe you even prayed with them, and, and you just didn't even know what to pray. Have you ever not known what to pray when you, somebody's like, you know you need to pray for somebody, and you go to pray, and you're not even sure the words to say in that moment? God, comfort them. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you feel like you're just stumbling on your words and you walk away going, man, I was of no help whatsoever. You feel like you almost did more harm than good. And then what happens? That person that you were there for, for years and years to come, they talk about how you were there in the most difficult time of their life. And you feel like you just blew it. But just being there said everything that needed to be said. Even though you felt awkward and uncomfortable, and just being there said everything that needed to be said. What about when you're going through a tough time? You know, things happen in our own lives. And... You know, maybe you're walking through the church and people know that this has happened in your life and, and people go by and they're like, hey, praying for you, brother. And you're like, thank you. and Thank God for that, right? But what about when your community group calls and says, hey, we're out and we've got some food. We're about to drop it by your house and we're not leaving until we pray for you. Means something, doesn't it? The people that are there for you in that moment. It's great. It's kind of like, you know, I'm so glad that we have our connection cards and we have the place for prayer requests at the bottom. But you know what? We also have our prayer partners up here. And they're ready to be present with you and to hear what you're walking through and to hold your hand, to hug you, to cry with you, to pray with you, whatever it may be. Because there is something. It's like there's a difference between praying for somebody and praying with somebody, isn't there? Again, it's about presence. And I thought about this too. It's not just being physically present. It's about being emotionally present. Because how many of you know you can be there but not be there? Are we not all guilty of that sometimes? I know sometimes on Sunday morning, I'm, you know, I, just before service, service is just about to start, and, and you know, a message is running through my mind. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just standing up here kind of praying to myself, and somebody comes up and says, hey, let me tell you about something funny that happened. And I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, and really, I'm, I'm really, you know, sometimes I'm just really not there, but I'm there. Does that make any sense? You know how sometimes we're there, but we're not there. We've got to be emotionally present. What if people were truly the priority of our lives? We've got to learn again how to truly be present with others. So that's number one. If we want to foster and develop relationships, one, 
is be present. Number two is be open. Somebody say, be open. Again, just another one of those that's like, well, yeah, got to be open. It's about being emotionally there. Guys, people do not like to open up. We don't like to get transparent and be real. You know, I think, um, actually, something, another thing I, I, I saw, this is very interesting. Experts say that the newest and fastest growing phobia in the world is, guess what? Talking on the telephone. The newest and fastest growing phobia in the world, talking on the telephone. Now, some of y'all look all confuzzled and everything. What? But how many of you, sometimes your phone rings, you pick it up, you look at it, and you're like, oh, no. And you're like, decline. And, and, and then, ding, voicemail pops up, and you're like, you immediately listen to that voicemail, and you're like, oh. And you're like, I'll, I'll text them back. <laughs> and, and, and so for the next few hours, you're formulating this text message in your mind, and then you respond with the text message, and, and you know, and, you know, and, send it, and here's the funny thing with text messaging, you know, the text messaging doesn't require pleasantries. You know, back in the day before text messaging, it's part of the reason we love text messaging, back in the day... If you were invited over to somebody's house for dinner or whatever it may be, and you're like, man, was that at six or seven? You had to call them. And you know when you call, you got to exchange all these pleasantries. So you go, hey, how's it going? Oh, good. How you doing? Oh, well, you know, I had such and such a work today. And, and, and you know their mama's in the hospital. So you got, oh, by the way, how's your mama doing? Oh, she's doing better and whatever else. By the way, tonight, is that a six or seven? Text messaging just bypasses it. And you're like, six or seven question mark. Bam. It's done, right? <laughs> you know, they say that people are afraid to talk on the phone. Why do you think it is? It's because they can't predict the direction of the conversation. But with, so, with, but with text messaging, they're in control again. Text messaging, you can carefully, how many of you have carefully crafted a message? I mean, to the point to where, I've, I've done it where I started in notes first on my phone. I start, and I, I start typing this message and you read it, and no, no, move that sentence around. Ooh, I don't know how they'll take that word. Make that back. No, okay. All right, maybe read it through, read it through. Oh, change that. Okay. All right, copy, paste it in the messages, read it one more time before you hit send. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably okay. Uh, let me change one more thing. And, and then hit send. Took you like 20 minutes. I've totally done it. Experts say, experts say that people don't even know how to get off the phone these days. They just get to the place of the conversation, don't know what else to say. And all you hear is like breathing. <sighs> well, yeah, huh, yeah. Weather sure is nice, you know. <laughs> Not sure how to end the conversation. And you know, yeah, anybody, you ever have, have somebody in your life that that's particularly awkward with? They, they never quite end it quite right. You're like, all right, well, yeah, oh, yeah. And, People don't know how to get off the phone, and so they just decide that texting is easier. As part of this is, we've got to learn to be open and transparent. James 5.16 says, very interesting, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? So that you may be healed. Very interesting here. It's saying when you confess your sins to other devoted believers... And you pray for each other that you may be healed. Man, but in the church, we don't like to talk about our issues. Think about this. You're together with a group of trusted, devoted Christian friends. And you're talking and you come to a place where you admit 
that you've been hurt and that you're angry and you don't know what to do. And they understanding, understandingly take time and they listen to you. And they say, I've been there. I know what you're feeling. And they give you a little bit of counsel and direction. And they all pray over you. Think of how that could change things. Think of the healing it could bring. But instead, we'd rather do what most people are doing today. We just refuse to talk to the people and we're bitter for years to come. It's pride. Well, I don't want my church to know that I'm struggling. Guys, it's so sad. We all struggle. I was thinking about how we used to have kids in the youth group, you know, whose families would go and be going through a real rough time, and the kids would just be broken and hurting, and they would finally open up to us, and they would admit that their parents told, us, told them not to talk to us or any of the church leaders because the church didn't need to know their business. And I'm sitting there going, your kid had nobody to turn to, and you told them not to tell their most trusted leaders in their life. The family just wants to wear a facade and act like they have it all together. How are you, brother? Oh, well, I'm blessed. Blessed. Blessed going in, blessed coming out. Hallelujah. Think about this, another statement Pastor Craig Rochelle made. He said, we may, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weakness. We may impress people with our strength, but we connect through our weakness. Isn't it true that we feel a connection with somebody that admits that they're going through or have been through some hard times in their life? It causes a, it causes a certain connection, a level of intimacy that when they're just boasting in their strengths, we think, well, hey, that's cool. They're good at that. Wow. But the connection occurs when we share our weakness. It happens when we're real. We get transparent. We drop that tightly controlled social media facade, that persona that we've created for people to see. We drop that and we say, I'm going through a tough time. And what we'll find is, you know, many times we go through a tough time and, and we feel like we are all alone and that nobody can possibly understand. But when we get around devoted Christian believers, what we find is we have others that are there that say, man, I've been there. I'm dealing with it too. I feel you. I know where you're coming from. Here's how the Lord ministered to me in this. Here's what the Bible says. Then lasting change can occur. Amen? Face-to-face -face Christian friendship should be a safe place. But the problem is, I think we can all admit that it's not always that way, right? And I think that, you know, sometimes Christians are better than anybody else at putting on that fake persona and acting like we've got it all together, that we never struggle with anything. Got the perfect life, the perfect spouse, the perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect whatever, whatever, you know. Man, we can have a knockdown, blowout fight with our spouse in the car, and we get out and we got a smile on our face on Sunday morning. Yeah. You get back into the car when you're leaving and you're not speaking. Happens all the time. Don't shake your head. I know you've done it. You know, we act like we've got it all together and then we sit there and talk about what sister so-and-so is going through, and man, I thought they were a seasoned believer. Man. Unfortunately, as Christians, I think one of the first things that new believers learn in church is to fake it till you make it. And learn to put that transparency aside. Then everyone's all surprised when that couple who had it all together files for divorce or bankruptcy, or some scandalous sin is exposed, and everybody's like, <gasps> where the reality is, maybe if they had just decided to be transparent and open early on with a group of close-knit, devoted believers, 
maybe with a community group or maybe whatever it may have been, maybe the entire tragedy could have been avoided. But instead, they try to walk it alone, completely contrary to the Word of God, and it leads to destruction. We've got to learn to be present. We've got to learn to be open. We've got to pick the right friends, realizing that we will be the average of the five closest people in our life. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. We weren't created to be independent on our own. We are incomplete without his body, without his church. God can bring the right people into your life if you will be open to what God wants you to do. Y'all say this together. I commit to being present and being open from this day forward. I want to invest in others. And I want others to invest in me. Guys, there's not many things in life more important than this. And I don't think the church is doing a real great job at it at the moment. I think that we've got to get this down. We've got to learn to be present and open and develop and foster Christian friendships. Amen? We're going to continue on for the next couple weeks. Let me get you guys to stand up. Let's just stand up, and I want you guys just to close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. Let's just... Let's just press in here for a moment and let's just pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a relational God and you created us as a relational people. Lord, as we go deeper with you, as we pursue that relationship with you, we also choose God to connect with fellow believers around us. I pray, God, that you would help us connect with the right people. Lord, we recognize that we may be one friend away from changing our destiny. We may be one friend away from changing somebody else's destiny. I pray, God, that you would use us to sharpen one another, that truly in our lives that iron would sharpen iron. Lord, let us have your heart. Let us see people the way that you see them. We refuse to settle for a counterfeit intimacy for one more moment. We refuse to let pride hold us back. Lord, give us the desire to be known and to know others. In Jesus' name. Guys, as we, as we wrap this up, you know, we talked about how you're the average of your five closest friends. If your closest friends are not consistently pursuing God, guess what? You're probably not pursuing God. And understand that you are a relational being because you were created in the image of a relational God. And he's such a relational God that he didn't just send us a letter, he sent us his son. He sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sin and to become sin for us on the cross so that anyone that would call on the name of Jesus would not only be saved but the Bible says that you become a friend of God well you want to talk about an influence you may recognize right now wherever you're at in your life that you're doing life without God as your friend. When it comes to friendships, that's the most important one. It's also another relationship that you've got to pursue and you've got to invest into time and effort and energy. But we've got to pursue it. 
you may recognize that you're at a place in your life where you need his forgiveness and you need his grace. With every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, you know what, I'm in a place right now where I can't really say that I'm a friend of God. Maybe you've prayed a prayer to receive him before, but you recognize that this isn't a relationship that you're investing anything into. You're recognizing that you're walking this alone, this life. And you would say, I need to surrender. I need to surrender my life to Jesus today and be a friend of God. If that's you, with every head bowed, if that's you, lift your hand and let me see. We want to pray a prayer together. Anybody in this place? Yes, anybody else? Let's say, I need to be a friend of God. We're going to pray a prayer together. If you mean this prayer with all your heart, everything will change. Doesn't mean the issues of life and things you're walking through, doesn't mean they'll go away. But God will be there every step of the way. He'll be your comfort. He'll be your peace. He'll embrace you through your whole walk. And he'll be your friend. He'll always be there to listen and give you counsel and direction to point you in the right way. He'll never fail you. He'll never leave you. He'll be the friend that sticks closer than any brother ever could. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I repent. I repent of living my life in my own strength, my own intellect, in my own way. I repent for thinking I know what's best. I repent of all my sin, and I ask this day that you would make me new. Today, Lord, I turn to you, and I say that I trust you, and I ask you to be my friend. I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, be master of my life from this day forward. Jesus, be my Lord. I thank you for taking my punishment, the judgment I, that I, the judgment that was mine, and taking it on yourself, for taking my sin and becoming sin for me and taking it to the grave. Today, Lord, I choose to follow you, and I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I will show your love and your mercy and your grace to all those I come in contact with. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything you called me to be. I will walk in your plan, in your way. Use me, Lord, to make a difference, to be a shining beacon of hope and light in this dark world. In Jesus' name, I thank you for my new life. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, God. If that's you, God is now that friend that sticks closer than any brother. Doesn't matter if the whole world turns against you. He's there. And he's got your back. And he'll always give you good direction. He'll always give you good counsel and wisdom. You never have to question it. You can also count on the fact that he's got a lot of other children just like you. And you don't have to walk this life alone. You can pursue godly relationships and friendships. There's people that can be there for you. And there's people there that need you. They need to know what you've walked through in this life. They need to know the difference that God has made. They need your wisdom and experience. So make a decision that you'll no longer be isolated. You'll no longer avoid social situations. You'll no longer avoid those things that make you feel uncomfortable. But part of your surrender is that you choose to allow the Holy Spirit to use you. 
in ways that you've never been used before. That you can help lift those up who are broken and alone and have been abandoned and rejected. And in your tough times, you can count on the fact that you're going to have people around you that love you and support you. I encourage you guys in two weeks as we start our community groups. One, if you're a member of Church of the Harvest, I personally ask you, get involved in a community group. You need a community of believers around you. Guys, Sunday morning is not good enough. It's not enough. You're not building relationship. You're not getting friendship and accountability and encouragement that you need on Sunday morning. I would go so far as to say the community group is more important. Please be here on Sunday too. But the community group is more important. Be there. In two weeks when we open those up, be ready. Start preparing yourself now. If you've never been a part of one, prepare yourself now. That in two weeks, you're going to put that down. You're going to commit to it. For the next three months or so, that you're going to be a part of this group of believers. And y'all are going to seek the Lord together. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.